Well, good morning again, 59th Street family. We welcome those of you who are joining us a little later today um, as we continue forward in our sermon series. Next slide. Uh, the story. And this is where we've been discussing uh, this grand narrative that God has been planning uh, from the beginning of the universe, literally, uh, to its very end, which, of course, we have yet to experience. Now, to learn more about what's been going on in the story, you know, let's do a brief recap. Uh, we've been talking about God's good creation. Uh, we also talked about the fall, where, where kind of everything went wrong. But last week, we saw that in the midst of this fall, or after this fall, uh, God elected Abraham and Israel. We learned that they were chosen by God, and they're chosen to be a blessing to all nations. And today, if we were the Israelites, we would have been liberated, right? If we're, if we're hearing this from the perspective of the Israelites as they were freed, today we are the Israelites. We have been liber liberated from bondage a few weeks ago. We've been walking through the wilderness. Uh, we've been led by God in some, you know, crazy cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. We saw God perform all these miracles. And in our story, if we were to imagine that uh, we are the Israelites, we finally reach the mountain of Sinai. And at the base of this mountain where we camp, uh, we see Moses coming down from the mountain with a new word from God. And this is what we hear. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they went out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. Now last week we mentioned how Israel was chosen and chosen for a specific purpose to be a blessing to all nations and today, we're going to see God begin to flesh out some of these details of how they're supposed to be a blessing to all nations. And in our passage, we see God ascribe three titles or three descriptions of what this nation of Israel should be like. God says that they're first his treasured possession. They're also his kingdom of priests. And finally, God calls the Israelites a holy nation. So let's take a look at these three descriptions today. Now, starting with the first description of Israel being God's treasured possession, uh, we notice a very uncomfortable truth, or maybe it's just uncomfortable for, for us Christians here today. I think sometimes, unfortunately, we tend to take God's grace as something that is cheap, as something that requires no responsibility after we are saved. And so although the Israelites realize they're chosen, God reinforces the point that if Israel is going to be Yahweh's treasured possession, then this title is actually a title that they have to earn. 
for themselves. In verse 5, God makes it very clear. He says this. He says, if you obey God's commands fully and keep his covenant, then Israel will be God's treasured possession out of all the nations. So for the Israelites, there's a clear emphasis on responsibility. That although they're saved from slavery through God's free and unmerited grace, their new status as God's treasured possessions, as God's treasured nation, is something that they would have to work to strive for. There is always an appropriate response to God's free salvation. And although human logic is often faulty, I think most of us believe this to a certain degree. Uh, in my home, I have this very embarrassing photo of this specific pot that I use, also that specific skillet that I use. Literally, out of all the pots I own, I always turn to this particular uh, pot, and I think it's, it's roughly about 20 years old by now. Uh, my mom has used it, my dad has used it, and I have used it many, many times. I still use it today. I took that picture like last week. And I've, I've cooked probably thousands of meals in it by now. I've cooked food for my friends, for my family with it throughout the years, and it has never once failed me. It has performed its duty spectacularly. And it is pretty silly for me to say, but I do have a sort of sentimental attachment uh, to this specific pot. You know, if my house burned down, I would, I would shed tears uh, for this specific pot. I care for it, I make sure it's not abused or, or too banged up. And the reason why it's my favorite pot or favorite utensil in the kitchen is because it has served me well. It has served me well in every stage of my life, from when I was a kid till now as an adult, and it still serves me well even today. I'm probably gonna make dinner with that going home. <laughs> and I'm sure we all have something like that in our lives, right? Maybe for you, it's also a piece of cookware that's been passed down from generation to generation. That's just an absolute workhorse. Or maybe it was a car that you owned for over a decade uh, that you just drove for hundreds of thousands of miles on crazy road trips with friends and family. And it would still keep running strong. Or for others, it might not be an item, but it might be a loving pet dog or a pet cat or perhaps even a dear friend who's known you for, for many years and always supported you through thick and thin with no questions asked. We all have treasured possessions or even treasured people, but the reason they're treasured is because they perform their duties well. Now, obviously, the analogy of pots and pans kind of falls short since pots and pans are, are clearly not alive, and pots and pans cannot respond appropriately to my love. However, what I hope this analogy highlights is that Israel is supposed to be God's chosen instrument to bless all nations. And in order for Israel to be God's treasured possession, they would have to respond appropriately to God's love. That out of their love for Yahweh, the expectation is that they would fulfill their duties faithfully from generation to generation to generation. That they'll continue to bless all nations, not just now, but for the rest of eternity to come. That was the vision. That was the hope. And at this point, I, I think it's pretty important, just as a point of clarification at least, 
I think it's important not to confuse this with works righteousness, which we hear a lot of, that we try to avoid. Works righteousness is where people attempt to earn salvation through human efforts. But for the Israelites, they are, all, they are already saved. And by being saved, there is no salvation to be earned through human efforts. But by being God's chosen people, a people chosen for a purpose, their identity and their action must be informed by God's mission in the world. Since they are now in an inseparable union with God, who is also a missionary God, Israel, as God's missionary nation, must consider what, resp what responsibilities that entail for them and how they're supposed to live out those responsibilities in their lives as individuals, as a community, and as a nation. And so what duties must they perform in order to respond appropriately to God's free salvation? Well, one thing that they are to do is that, they are, that they're supposed to be a kingdom of priests. And as priests, they would have two specific duties, to represent and to mediate. So what, what do I mean by representation and mediation? Well, on the representation side, I, I think this is a little self-explanatory, right? Or it's at least pretty clear. If we look at our own government, especially at the House of Representatives, uh, the original idea is that the community would elect a person to represent the community's interest at a federal level, right? And so when a community requires assistance from the federal government, the hope is that the representative that we elected would voice our concerns on our behalf and get the help that we need so that peace and wholeness could finally return back to our community, whether it's in Brooklyn or, or another part of New York. And this is actually very similar to the role of a priest. The biblical role of a priest is that this person would live in the community with the people who shared in their joys, who shared in their sufferings, and this would be the person who would be given the responsibility to go to God on the people's behalf. Why? In order to bring the needs of this community to God. And this role of being a kingdom of priests is actually a very powerful idea because if it if it is supposed to be a kingdom of priests, then we realize that the role of a priesthood should not be confined to a particular religious set of elite people who lived in temples totally separated from the rest of the community. That is not the ideal. Rather, to be an effective priest, the original call would be for the Israelites to live in cross-cultural communities if they are to be a blessing to all nations to intentionally live in a multicultural context in order to identify the needs of people who look different from them, who act different from them, and who might have an entirely different culture than them, to understand the struggles of these people, not just because it's a nice thing to do or the, the quote-unquote woke thing to do, but to be their representatives in order to bring these communities' genuine concerns and problems to the Almighty God, to Yahweh himself to be their representatives. And so earlier, for our scripture reading, we, we touched a bit on Jonah, right? And we all know how, how the story goes about how reluctant Jonah was in reaching this foreign nation, the Ninevites. And the entire point of the story of Jonah is that it's supposed to encourage us to think differently about what it means to be a representative on behalf of other people. 
Imagine instead of Jonah trying to escape his duties and secretly desiring the destruction of these people, imagine that Jonah actually obeyed God's call. Imagine Jonah obeyed God's call not just to preach destruction on these people, but imagine that Jonah is willing to sacrifice his time, his life, to live with the Ninevites, to understand the sins of the Ninevites, to understand their needs, their necessities, to assess their struggles and concerns. And imagine if Jonah, out of a deep love, instead of preaching judgments on them, comes to God as their representative and prays on their behalf. What an entirely different story we would have, right? What a much more beautiful story we would have if Jonah was like that. And so that's the representation side of a priest, where they go to God on behalf of the people for all of their concerns, whether it's physical, economic, moral, or spiritual. But on the mediation side, we have a coming back. And so if representation is going to God, then mediation is their coming back from God in order to serve the community. And a brilliant image of this is actually in the book of Acts, where we see this kingdom of priests fulfilled in the early church and also even here today, here at 59th Street. And what mediation looks like is that after representing the people before God, the priests are also tasked with the distribution of God's free gift of salvation and also tasked with the distribution of God's mercy and love where the priests themselves see that they are in an extension of God's own mercy and an extension of God's own love and concern. And so in the book of Acts, you know, if you read this, you, you see this clearly, right? The disciples and others, Christians, they're baptizing others in order that others may receive the free gift of God's salvation. But what we also see is that Christians saw themselves, not just the disciples of Christ, all Christians, all Christians saw themselves as extensions of God's love and concern. They literally saw themselves as the hands and the feet of Christ. And so when there was poverty in the community, we would see that all Christians, not just the leaders, they would freely give to all of those who were impoverished. And again, we see that they did this not because it's a nice thing to do or not because it earned them righteousness, but they would freely give because they saw themselves as an extension of God's loving concern. They understood that God, if he were in this situation, God would freely give to this person. God would show utmost concern for this issue, and out of this understanding, they would be mediators of God's generosity. And so we see that being mediators of God is really a call to action and to understand their unique role in being an extension of God's love. And this is something that has never changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and even today, where we as Christians are representatives and mediators, where the task of all of God's people is to spread the goodness of God's kingdom wherever we are. And if the nation of Israel truly saw themselves in such a way, how could they not be a blessing to all nations if they represented and mediated God's love to all people? But the call to be a blessing to all nations also takes up a moral and a spiritual dimension as well. 
and that the Israelites are also called to be a holy nation. Now, last week, I, I mentioned that God's ultimate concern, God's primary concern for the Israelites, I said this, maybe kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I said that God's ultimate concern for the Israelites was not moral purity, but rather to be a blessing to all nations. However, that's not to say that holiness is not important to God. Holiness is incredibly important to God, but it is important to God because it is part of what it means to be a blessing to all nations. And holiness, when, when we think of it, at least in, in Western terms, we think of it totally as a moral attribute, right? If someone were to describe what a holy person is like, well, you would say, oh, well, that person is morally upright, that's a person who loves God. But such a concept of holiness actually misses the point because it sees morality and faith as just the end goal. But what holiness is in the Old Testament is that it is something that is sacred, something that is good, that is set aside, set aside for what? It is set aside for a specific purpose. And so understood this way, then we see that moral uprightness and even purity and faith are both means to an end, not an end in themselves. Coming back to the analogy with cookware and, and eating, um, I think all families have a special set of plates, bowls, or utensils that are kind of set aside, that aren't really touched for day-to-day -day use. And only on special occasions or only for special purposes are these utensils, these plates brought out, right? These aren't just ordinary plates. These are plates set apart for a specific purpose, whether, that, whether that's to celebrate uh, with the entire family or whether that's set apart to show respect and honor to, to a welcome guest. These are all items that are set apart for a purpose, our treasured possessions set apart for a beautiful purpose. And so when we look back at Israel, we see that Israel is set apart, but they're set apart for God's redemptive purpose for the whole world. Their laws, although today might seem absolutely archaic and a little bizarre due to the cultural differences, in that time, in the ancient Near East, the Israelite moral and religious code would be, and so what did the Israelites' moral code entail? Well, for some, like the Jubilee laws, it forgave people of their debts and even went as far as to restore people who lost their own lands, whether due to economic poverty. Can you imagine? You sold your lands and you would get it back during the year of Jubilee. They even had specific laws that harvesters were not allowed to harvest their field twice. How come, why can't they harvest their field twice? Because whatever is dropped, whatever is missed, was supposed to be gathered and was supposed to be given to the poor of the community so that no one in the nation of Israel would starve. And so by following God's holy laws, they lived out a life of righteousness and justice to such an extent that the entire Israelite culture became a testimony to the moral character of God and his redemptive love for all nations. And God invites all nations throughout the world to see what true justice, to see what true holiness and goodness looks like in this particular nation. So Israel is to be a living embodiment of God's rule, a model, an example, and a pattern to be followed amongst all the nations. 
a holiness that doesn't just stay in one place, but a holiness that infectiously spreads throughout a broken world. And through this picture of Israel, we actually see a glimpse of what the church is. I mean, yeah, we actually get a glimpse of what the church is or the church we have today. We are also called to holy living, without a doubt, because God desires goodness and righteousness, but this goodness and righteousness is always meant to serve others and to encourage others and invite others into holy living themselves. And so through this message, we see that it isn't impurity, it isn't sin that is infectious throughout the world, but rather we see a different story. We see that it is holiness, goodness, and righteousness as the proverbial yeast that spreads throughout the bread. It is the holiness in our individual lives and the holiness of the church that is to infectiously spread into the lives of those who we come in contact. It's supposed to infectiously spread into the community that we live in order for them to be inspired, to give their lives to God, and to participate in God's kingdom here on earth. And so today, as, as we wrap up our sermon, I want to encourage all of you to wonder. Wonder in what ways can we be holy priests in the midst of brokenness? The Christian vision is actually a very creative and imaginative life where we envision or we think about the missing potential of the world around us. And so as we participate in the brokenness of life, we are inspired to imagine how much greater things would be if they responded appropriately to God's message of redemption. And out of this creative imagination, I hope we're all called to pray for others, but to also make this a reality, a possibility, by becoming extensions of God's own love and concern. We're called to even see the maximum potential of our own lives that can only be lived out in holiness in order to inspire others to imagine what their lives would look like for themselves in God's concern, in God's holiness. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you all to think about this. I encourage you to see this life from an entirely new perspective, to see life from God's perspective, and to become God's hands and feet in this world here today, to become the model of holiness that God calls all of us to be. Why don't we come together in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for the saving work that you've done in our lives. Um, we can only live out a holy and sacrificial life because you, Lord, you've modeled it for us. You've shown us what it is to love your neighbors. You have shown us what it is to love your enemies. You brought physical and spiritual healing into a desperate and broken world. Uh, you took upon yourself our sins and the sins of the world in order to grant us the free gift of salvation, in order to bring the redemption of our souls and our freedom from sin. And so we pray today, Lord, that you'll inspire us into holy living, not just for holiness' sake, but so that we can be the salt and the light of the world. Let all people know of your love as we all become extensions of it in our own lives. And we pray all of this in your precious Son's name. Amen.